As always, I'm delighted that you're here and hope you've got your Bible with you. I want to talk tonight about some things that we most know well, but particularly for younger people, we need to visit time and again that they might know the truth about some things that happen in this season. We're now living in what we may call the Christmas season. Decorations are going up in our homes and across the town and throughout the country. Nativity scenes even going up. Some churches are having their pageants, etc. And so there's a mixture of religious and national holiday celebration. And so one of the questions is, is this the birth of Christ? And should we celebrate it as such? And if we don't celebrate it, why do we not celebrate Christmas as the birth of Christ? Why is that? There's some things we want to see. Many churches across this town and across the country are having their Christmas programs. And so in lieu of maybe preaching or worship services, they may be having some kind of Christmas program. They may have a play or maybe have a major, major scene. They'll be singing songs about the birth of Christ. Christmas trees and decorations are in the church building. All of which suggests they're celebrating in a religious way the birth of Christ somehow. They celebrate it with parties and with fun and with food. And um, at the expense of the church. And that's part of honoring Christ, they think. So tonight I want to talk about several things about Christmas and raise some questions about that. Is December the 25th the birth of Christ? And if it is, how do we know it is? And if it's not, then how do we know that? What do we know about the birth of Christ? And are we told to celebrate the birth of Christ? And if it's not the birth of Christ, then can Christians celebrate Christmas in any way? Can they celebrate it in a religious way? You say, if you could prove to me it's not the birth of Christ, can, can I celebrate it as the birth of Christ and talk about that and encourage others to do the same? And furthermore, can I uh, celebrate it in a non-religious fashion? Five things we want to talk about tonight, and we'll work our way through these. I want us to see that we're not told when Jesus was born, and then we'll talk about the origin and the history of Christmas, where did it come from? And then we'll talk about why we do not observe it religiously. And so why are we not having a pageant? Why are we not having a Christmas play? And why do the Christians who worship here not only not have a, a uh, nativity scene here, but we don't have those in our homes and in our yards? Then we'll talk about the non-religious observance of that. Is that possible? And what does that involve? And then I want to talk about a question of supporting the Salvation Army, which some Christians do. And what is involved in that and why should you do that or not do that? We'll talk about that as we go through. So let's talk about this principle that we're not told when Jesus was born. The Bible doesn't reveal that. In fact, we don't even know the year that he was born. Not only do we not know the day that he was born, we don't know the year. He was born somewhere between 7 and 4 B.C. And you say, I thought B.C. stood for being before Christ, and how could he be born for B.C.? Well, there was a problem with the calendar, as you'll recall, and many of you have heard that before, and you know that. And I quote, and I won't read, we're going to have a number of quotations tonight, I won't read every word, I want to get the gist of these, and if you'd like the quotations, I can share them with you. This is from Halley's Bible Handbook, and he simply states that why was Christ born four years before Christ? 
And he said when Christ was born, the time was reckoned from the Roman Empire, from the founding of the city of Rome. And when Christianity became the universal religion, over what had been the Roman world, a monk had, at the request of the emperor made a calendar in 526 uh, A.D. reckoning the time from the birth of Christ to supersede the Roman calendar. Well, the uh, quotation goes on to say that long, not long after they began to realize that he had made a mistake by four to seven years, and so for that reason, we say that Jesus was born perhaps 4 B.C. or maybe sometime a little before or a little after. So that the mistake was made somewhere between four and five years in coordinating with the Roman calendar, which it replaced. So you say, well, I, I thought maybe the calendar starts with the birth of Christ. No, it didn't. We, there was a mistake made. So he was born somewhere between four and seven B.C. We don't even know the year in which he was born, much less the day. We don't know the month or the day in which Jesus was born. And the reason we don't know that is the Bible doesn't say that. You can open your Bible and turn to any of the accounts concerning the birth of Christ, whether Matthew or Luke's account of that, and the Bible doesn't say. Most likely, it was not December the 25th, as is supposed, and even the religious world didn't think that for a while. In Luke chapter 2 and in verse 8, one of the keys that may tell us something about the timing of that. They were in the same country, shepherds living out uh, in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. Now that's a key point in understanding when maybe this may have taken place, what time of the year it may have taken place, is that the shepherds were out in the fields with their flock. Again, I'm not going to read every quotation that we have before you. This is from Albert Barnes, and he talked about how the climate was mild and keep the flocks from straying, that the shepherds spent the night uh, with the sheep in the fields. He goes on saying that they, they put them out in the summer months and then they later took them out up by October, the first of November, when the weather began to be commenced. So he goes on in the quotation to say it was not likely that this would be, the birth would have been around December 25th because the shepherds would not have been out in the field. At that time it was cold and especially in the high mountainous regions about Bethlehem. But the exact time of his birth is unknown. There's no way to ascertain that, he said. Well, he's right about that. We don't know. But not likely around December 25th. Wycliffe Bible Commentary said the exact date of Jesus' birth is unknown. The legendary date of December 25th cannot be tracked back further than the 4th century. So there's nothing in the Bible, and this is one of the things I want our young people to understand, is when people talk about this being the birth of Christ, keep in mind the Bible doesn't give us any information that points to December 25th. And furthermore, it gives us information that points out probably that was not the case. Here's a quotation from Adam Clark's commentary. It's custom among the Jews to send their sheep out to the deserts about the Passover and to bring them home at the commencement of the first rain. During the time that they were out, the shepherds watched over the, uh, them day and night. And as the Passover occurred in the spring and the first rain, uh, rain began uh, in the month that it corresponds with our October, November, we find the sheep were kept out in the open field during the whole of the summer. And he goes on to say, without reading the rest of that, that most likely December 25th would not be when the shepherds were out in the field. So we're not just quoting from one scholar, but one after the other after another suggests they probably were not out in the field. The Cyclopedia, the ecclesiastical literature by McClinic and Strong says essentially the same thing. The observance of Christmas is not a divine appointment, nor is it of New Testament origin. The day of Christ's birth cannot be ascertained from the New Testament. And goes on to say that this was brought over from heathen customs, as we'll see here in just a moment. 
Some suggest that it's possible. This is Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, and they suggest that the uh, recent travelers tell us that at the end of December, after the rains, flowers begin to, to come again into bloom, and the flocks again issue forth. And the nature of the seasons in Palestine could hardly have been unknown to those fixed upon the present Christmas period. The difficulty, therefore, is perhaps more imaginary than real. So what they're saying is that this idea that the shepherds would not have been in the fields in December is just not so. And so let's give them that point. If that's so, it's just a pure guess that it would have been December the 25th. That's all that is. That doesn't prove a thing. Now, here's some dates that have been suggested for the birthday of Christ. Some uh, had nailed it down thinking it was January 6th. Others said March 25th. Some said January 10th, May 20th, and then December 25th. In fact, there have been some who suggested practically every month of the year as a possible birth date of our Lord. There's no way to ascertain from the New Testament. Here's what we do know. So let's get our Bibles, and, and we won't take the time to trace every point here. Just want to give a gist of what the Bible teaches so in Matthew chapter 1, you might turn there, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew gives an account of the birth of Christ, so does Luke give an account of the birth of Christ, and uh, Matthew 1 verse 25, you are familiar with that, it just simply says that uh, here concerning Mary, that Joseph did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus, so here's the birth of Jesus, he was born. Luke 2, 1 to 7 says the same thing, a little more words there than in Matthew's account. Now, Luke 2 goes on to tell us there was the visit of the shepherds the same night. So we know that about the story. That's true. Here's something else we know. Luke 2 in verse 21 said Jesus was circumcised the eighth day after his birth. Here's something else we know. That Jesus' presentation was 40 days after his birth, according to Leviticus, following the principle of Leviticus 12. But Luke chapter 2 in verse 22 mentions that. Here's something else we know. There were wise men that visited. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. There was the wise men that visited, the text tells us, uh, in verses 1 to 12. They began to ask where the king was born. And uh, so they find him and they trace him and they come and they visit him. Now, what we're not told is how many. We, in the stories of Christmas, we often hear about three wise men. Maybe there were three. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us how many. They actually came to the house and not to the manger, not to the, uh, and according to verse 11. So the accounts being told of the birth of Christ doesn't fit the story in the New Testament at all. Matthew chapter 2, after his birth, his parents journeyed to Egypt and the male children were killed and according to Matthew chapter 2, and then they returned back to Nazareth. And I know that's a hurried look and we didn't read all of that. Time would forbid us to go through every bit of that, but that's what we do know about the birth of Christ. We don't know the day. We don't know the year. So we don't know when Jesus was born. We cannot ascertain a certain month or a certain day that we know. In fact, we can't even point to a certain year. So we don't know when he was born. We know he was, and that's all we need to know. That must not be important, but God would have revealed that to us. If that was of utmost importance, that I know the day and the year and the time, then the Lord would have revealed that, but he didn't. So let's talk about the origin and the history of Christmas. So why was December the 25th chosen as the birthday of Christ? And as we said earlier, it cannot be traced back earlier than the 4th century. So why was that? Well, it's not because of the Bible, obviously, because there's no record in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible about that. 
Uh, we're, we're, we're living in a time when people talk about we need to put Christ back into Christmas and, and we need to get back to the biblical principle of what Christmas is about and put Christ back there, but they're making an appeal to something that's not even in the Bible at all. The Catholic Encyclopedia said Christmas was not among the earliest festivals of the church. That's interesting. That's from the Catholic Encyclopedia. That's not written by a gospel preacher. That's produced by Catholics. And that they say that it cannot be traced earlier in the festivals of the church. One of the church fathers, Origen, in 245, uh, repudiated the idea of keeping the birthday of Jesus as if he were a king pharaoh. That's interesting. Early church fathers that we appeal to, they were not infallible men, but they often reflected some things they had learned from the days of the apostles. And so he reputed the, uh, repudiated that idea. Clement of Alexander, also a church father, so-called, mentioned several speculations on the date of the birth of Christ and condemned them as superstitious, those we do not know much about, he would say. So why was December 25th chosen as the birth of Christ? There is some pagan background that's involved in that. The ISBE, that's International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, said the Christmas date, December 25, is first met in the West in the 4th century. The Eastern date was January 6th, which we already mentioned, which is possibly borrowed from pagan festivals. Well, we won't give every quotation, but there was this pagan festival, a seven-day festival in honor of Saturn, December 17th through the 24th, from which this is taken. And so it has pagan background. The 25th was the worship of the sun god, Mathra, a celebration of victory of light over darkness. And so that's why December 25th was chosen, because it had some connection with this, this pagan practice of worshiping the sun. The Encyclopedia Britannica suggests the same thing. The traditional customs connected with Christmas have developed from several sources. And as a result of the coincidence of the celebration of the birth of Christ with pagan agriculture and solar observance at midwinter. I won't read the rest of the quotation. He's making the same point that we've already made. There's also some Catholic background related to that. The Bishop of Rome, that is the Pope, changed the date from January 6th in 353 to the next year, December 25th, as the birth of Christ. And he arrived at that date by saying conception was at March 25. And so he backed, or he added nine months and said, then therefore it must be at December 25. That's the date. So uh, it's borrowed from some pagan background. There's some Catholic background involved as well. I won't read all of these quotations, but the Groyer Interactive Encyclopedia, and so the, the uh, Collier's Encyclopedia basically say the same kind of thing, that the church at Rome assigned December the 25th. Uh, the first quotation talks about how that the church did not observe it, but the date was chosen uh, to counter the pagan festivals. So the Catholics are trying to counter the pagan festivals. And so Rome celebrated this invincible son this, that is the son of God on December 25. And so there is some pagan background. There's some Catholic background to December 25th being chosen. I want to briefly mention some customs associated with Christmas and where they might have originated. The Christmas tree... It's supposed to be a survival of the pagan tree worship. More about that perhaps a little bit later. Lights are used to decorate at Christmas, taken from a pagan emphasis on light, of sun worship is one of the reasons it's thought that is brought on. Santa Claus was taken from St. Nicholas, a Catholic bishop who lived in the 4th century and uh, lived in Asia Minor. He wore a red bishop suit. He was honored by Greeks on December, uh, uh, December the 6th. He was thought to be a special friend to children. He gave gifts, secret gifts to impoverished citizens. The tradition was that after his death, children could pray to him and still get gifts. And so that's where the idea that came to America from the Dutch 
and uh, the idea of Santa Claus. The nativity scene, well, that was first used in 1224, a little late for New Testament times, by the way. Stockings were thought to be an Italian custom, January the 6th, which was a date signed to the birth of Christ. Good children would get gifts and candy and bad children would get ashes. And that's where that custom came from. Many have objected, Christians have objected to referring to Christmas as Xmas because they thought that was irreverent toward Christ. It's an Xing out of Christ. The X is not the English X. It is an abbreviation of the Greek Christos. And so it is not irreverent as some think. That is not an irreverent reference to, to our Lord. It was an abbreviation of the title given of Christ. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has nothing to do with anything religious. It was the invention of Montgomery Ward Department Stores in 1938 as a sales promotion. It have nothing to do with anything religious. Now, why do we not observe it religiously? Why is it that uh, we don't have the pageant that we have? And why is it that we don't have a play? Why do we not put a nativity scene out in our yards? And why do we not put a star on top of our trees? And why do we not observe it religiously? Let's begin listing some, some reasons. First of all, there's no Bible authority. The observance of the birth of Christ is a religious act. So if I'm observing his birth, like I observe his death on the Lord's day, it's a religious act. Now let's turn to some passages that we know well. And if it doesn't apply to this principle, my question is, why not? If not, why not? If you say, well, no, these passages don't apply to observance of Christmas as a... My question is, why not? Tell me why it doesn't apply. Colossians 3 and in verse 17, you know the passage well, but let's turn and read. That whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. So whatever we do, whether in teaching or in practice, do all in the name of the Lord. Have Bible authority for all that we do. So the question would be, where is any Bible authority that tells me to celebrate the birth of Jesus and when I'm to celebrate and how I'm to celebrate that? So if there's biblical instruction, how am I to do that? What am I to do to celebrate the birth of Christ? I know how I'm to celebrate his death. Told to do that with the Lord's Supper. Let's go to 2 John in verse 9. Whosoever goeth onward and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. But he that abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. There's simply no Bible authority. So when someone says, why do you not celebrate it? It's because there's no Bible authority. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 4. We are forbidden to observe special days. By that, we're not talking about one deciding that I want to fast, as we see as per 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, or Romans chapter 14. I want to fast, or I want to eat meat, or not eat meat. Or I want to have a special day that I observe as a day of prayer. You have every right to do that. But to take a day that I'm going to celebrate as a religious act, we're forbidden to do that. So let's go to Galatians chapter 4. We'll come back to this passage a little bit later. Uh, and uh, Galatians chapter 4. But I want you to notice in verse verse 10 particularly, why, uh, he said, you observe days and months and seasons and years, and I, I meant to back up and get the verse before that, but he said, after that you've known God, or rather you've known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in the bondage? In other words, you're going back to these observance of special days under the Old Testament law. Why are you doing that? And they were forbidden to do that. That's one of the things I wanted you to see. And so the question is, why do we not uh, why do we do what's not authorized and fail to do what is authorized? That's quite interesting to me. That some only attend church at Christmas and Easter. So they come to observe his resurrection. They come back at Christmas so that they can observe his birth. And yet the Lord said that we're to observe his death every Lord's day. 
Acts chapter 20 and in verse 7. They fail to do that, but they do what's not authorized. So why do we not do it? There's simply no Bible authority for it. Now let's talk about a possible non-religious observance. There are some Christians that oppose the non-religious observance, that is the exchanging of gifts, the putting up of a tree, um, going to a Christmas party, whatever the case may be, and they cannot do that at all. And so they think it always carries religious or pagan significance. Perhaps you know of some Christians, maybe you feel that way and that's fine. Uh, I have worked with some Christians who have that feeling and so they, they can't exchange gifts, they, don't have any, they can't celebrate in any way, shape, form or fashion. It violates their conscience and therefore it would be wrong for them to do that. Let's go to Romans chapter 14 because this is where Romans 14 would apply. This is where Romans 14, what is Romans 14 talking about? Romans 14 is talking about matters of judgment, personal liberties, wherein brethren differ, not matters of doctrine or faith. But I'm not interested in that point of, at this juncture, but I want us to notice that there is this difference over doubtful things, over scruples or opinions according to verse 1. Now when I come to verse 23, the text says, Verse 22, do you have faith? Now the faith in this context is not the faith of the gospel. It's not our faith in the gospel. But it's talking about my scruples or my opinions or my judgment or my conscience. Here's the one who cannot conscientiously meet even though it's right. Can't conscientiously do that. So do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. In other words, don't bind that on everyone else. You can't eat meat? Don't bind that on everyone else. You can't eat meat? Don't bind that on everybody else. You have faith, have it to yourself and before God. Happy is he who does not consume himself in what he approves. Now then, verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Now what's the point? Nothing wrong with eating meats. But if it violates your conscience, it's wrong for you to do that. So the same thing is true here. One who says, I, I cannot observe Christmas in a non-religious way. I can't do that. I can't exchange gifts. I can't put up a tree. It would be wrong then for you to do that if it violates your conscience. And so keep your conscience. And none of the rest of us should try to bind our opinion upon them. Let them observe their conscience. But it's like any other day, Thanksgiving, the 4th of July, or Memorial Day. Not much difference. There are many things that are pagan in an origin that have lost their pagan significance. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought you just said that this had pagan origin and had Catholic origin, and yet you're going to observe it in a non-religious way. I want to suggest to you there are a number of things that had pagan origin. In fact, as we talk about the days of the week, whether you're talking about Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or even Sunday, they all have origin of those references to paganism, of Saturn's day or Sun's day or Thor's day, the god of thunder. I don't have a problem talking about Thursday, do you? It was pagan in its origin, the name was, not the day, but the, the, the use of that name. Can you talk about Thursday and Sunday and Saturday and Friday? I can. While the origin of that may be pagan, it's lost that significance, is what I'm trying to suggest to you, even the month January and March and even May, etc. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 10. Some have thought Jeremiah 10 is a prophecy of the Christmas tree. And I hear that often in, among those who oppose the non-religious observance, and they're welcome to, to do that. 
But the question is, is that a proper use of Jeremiah chapter 10? Is this talking about the Christmas tree? Was it a prophecy that one day people are going to put trees in their house and put lights on it and they're going to decorate for the holidays and this is forbidden because this was a prophecy? Some have argued so. But I want you to notice the tree in Jeremiah chapter 10, it talks in verse 3 about how one cuts a tree from the forest and then they decorate it, verse 4, with silver and gold. And... Uh, and some have said, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the Christmas tree. But this was used as an idol. How do I know? In that context, look at verse 6. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O God, you are great and your name is great in might. There's a contrast between the mighty God and this tree. Look at verse 10. Same context, verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He just talked about the tree, how they fix it so that it doesn't totter. But you, the Lord, is the, are the true God. He is the living God. Look at verse 11. Same thing. Thus you shall say to them, the gods. That's what they made out of the tree. They made a God out of the tree. And you have made the heavens and the earth shall perish, etc. God made the heavens and the earth, but these gods did not make the heavens and the earth. Same thing we see again in verse 15. That's not a prophecy of the Christmas tree. No one today worships a Christmas tree or the decorations. I don't know of anybody who puts a tree up in their house and decorates it and puts bells and, and garland on it and then they bow down and they worship that. If someone's doing that, they're wrong and they need to be condemned for that practice. We all celebrate Christmas. This is a point made several years ago by a brother who said, I opposed, I opposed the non-observance of Christmas for years and years and then I realized I was observing it. How so? He said, I'd take the time off when the, the company offered it. And furthermore, he said, I would take the bonus pay when they give me my Christmas bonus. I'd accept that. And furthermore, that I, I spent time with my family and I traveled because it was a time we could be with family. I was observing it in some shape, form, or fashion, just not in a religious way. What it's come to mean is neither pagan nor religious in its significance. Christmas has become to mean simply family togetherness and food and shopping and expression of love, relaxation and, and parties and ha doesn't have that pagan and that religious significance that it once had. Now I want to talk about some information that a number of Christians have been, for lack of better expression, been ignorant upon. At least on Facebook I see Christians sometimes around the country have volunteered to ring the bell for the Salvation Army. Or they contribute, and they, as they go by the entrance of the grocery or wherever it may be, Walmart, and they're ringing the bell, that they go and put their few dollars in to support the Salvation Army. And they think of the Salvation Army as, as merely a benevolent organization, like the Red Cross or something, and I'll contribute to that. Or there's a drive that maybe they're doing at work, and I'll, I'll be one that I'll go volunteer to ring the bell for them. So can the Christian support the Salvation Army. I want you to understand that the Salvation Army is a church. It is a religious organization. It's a church just like the Catholic Church, just like the Baptist Church, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses. It is a church. It is a religious organization. Now evidence of that could be cited but just doing a little search on the internet. Here is one of their worship centers. It says the Salvation Army, the Center for Worship and Service. And here's one of their worship buildings. And so if generally the picture people have of the Salvation Army is that, that kettle outside of uh, Kroger or Walmart or wherever it may be, ringing the bell and they're giving, they're giving food and, and gifts away to those who are impoverished, as they would describe it. 
Here's another picture of the Salvation Army Church and Community Center. They have worship at 11 o'clock and Wednesday night worship as well. Here's another one where the Salvation Army and they have Sunday school and they have worship at 11 a.m. All of this information is taken from their website, the Salvation Army International. And they say the Salvation Army is an integral part of the Christian church. Although distinctive in government and practice, the Army's doctrine follows the mainstream of Christian belief in the Articles of Faith. It emphasizes God's saving purpose. Its objectives are the advancement of the Christian religion. Sounds like a church, doesn't it? That's what they say they are. They said that themselves. Not only is it a church, but they have worship services. This is again taken from their website. And uh, they talk about their worship services. The uh, type is a little bit small, but they say worship is a vital part of one's spiritual health. Uh, spiritual health. When we worship God, we acknowledge He's worthy of praise. And our worship services offer a place of Bible study, worship, etc. So they have places of worship. This again is taken from their, their website. The Salvation Army places of worship called citadels or temples. But whatever their name, they are Christian churches open to community to, to serve. I want you to notice the third paragraph now. Notice what they say. The hymns and songs are accompanied by a traditional Salvation Army brass band or a contemporary worship band with keyboards, guitars, and, and drums and other instruments. And choirs are also used as well. And so they have services. They have worship services. This is from a picture from New Zealand of the Salvation Army Church, one of their worship centers or citadels as they would call it. And you see the brass band. This is their worship service uh, in one of their own buildings. It is a church that teaches false doctrine. The Salvation Army teaches false doctrine. This again is taken from their website. This is our beliefs. Well, some of it sounds pretty good that we believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are given by inspiration of God and they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. Well, so good. So far, so good. But let's jump down here and notice that we believe that the first parents were created in a state of innocency, but by their disobedience, they lost their purity and happiness. Well, okay, so far. And that in consequence of their fall, all men have become sinners totally depraved. That's Calvinistic thought. By the way, uh, what was his name? William Booth, who started it, came out of the uh, 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 Methodist church, I think. But there was some Calvinistic influence. Had to be. That's Calvinism. Well, we go a little bit further. We believe that repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus and regeneration of the Holy Spirit are necessary to salvation. We believe that we're justified by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus, and he that believeth hath a witness in himself. What do you have to do to be saved? You have to repent and believe. That's what you do. They teach false doctrine. So to close with this question, can I give to the Salvation Army's red kettle? You say, well, are you opposed, are you opposed to helping those who are poor? No. Are you opposed to giving to benevolent organizations? Absolutely not. Can I volunteer to ring the bell for them? What I would be doing is supporting an erroneous church. What I would be doing is supporting false doctrine. What I would be doing is supporting false worship. And so I raised the question, could I give to or help raise money for the Catholic church? Could I do that? Suppose the Catholic Church says, we're, we're raising money to give, and they do that. Could I support the Catholic Church? Could I give to the Catholic Church? Could I, could I go, and maybe it's not a bell or ring, but could I go and beg money and say, could you, would you give money to the Catholic Church? Because they help those who are poor. They do help the poor. They also do other things with their money. 
They teach false doctrine with their money. They buy distilleries with their money. And they support a number of things that I couldn't support, so I can't give to the Catholic Church. And I cannot give to the Salvation Army. Well, maybe that helps us a little bit. We didn't learn anything probably outstandingly new. But perhaps we have young people here who know, well, we don't observe this religiously, but I don't know why. We say this is not the birth of Christ, but I don't know why we say it may not be the birth of Christ. What do we know? Well, hopefully that answers some questions. We're not told when Jesus was born. We saw the origin and the history of Christmas. We talked about uh, observing it in a non-religious way, why we don't observe it religiously, and why we cannot support the Salvation Army. There may be one or more present this evening who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith in Christ, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?